0: Amen. If you have your Bibles today, the book of 1 Kings chapter number 19, the book of 1 Kings chapter number 19. We were first introduced to a man by the name of Elijah back in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. He walked up before the king and he said, for there's going to be a time that there'll be No dew nor rain for three and a half years. And God sent Elijah after making that bold declaration down to the brook Cherith where God commanded the ravens to bring the man of God meat and bread. And he stayed there for quite some time until the famine famine and the drought eventually caused the brook Cherith to dry up. And God said to the man of God, Elijah, he said, I want you to leave this brook that's dried up and I want you to go down to Zarephath where there's a little widow woman down there and I have commanded her to sustain thee. And when Elijah got down there to Zarephath, he found that widow woman out picking up sticks. And when he went to talk to her, it seemed like she didn't know nothing about sustaining him. In fact, she even said, all we've got is just a little handful of meal for me and my boy and that's it for us kaput we're done the man of God said bake me a cake first and then for you and when she did that every day she did it for years the meal barrel wasted not truly miracle after miracle they were performed in 1 Kings 17 and then we come to chapter number 18. And in number 18, God sends Elijah up on top of the mountain and he summons the 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, listen, how long halts you between two opinions? If Baal be God serve him and if the Lord God be God serve him, I propose a contest." We're going to take a sacrifice, going to prepare an altar, put the sacrifice on the altar, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And the prophets of Baal, they went through their gyrations and all they needed to do, but nothing happened because Baal is not a god. But then the man of God, Elijah, went and he repaired the altar. He prepared the sacrifice and put it on the altar. He put stones around it, dug a trench. He said, I want y'all to bring water. You know how valuable water would have been in the middle of a drought, in the middle of a famine? They'd have said, you're a that water. They'd have held him in judgment. He said, go ahead and wet it down. Wet down the wood, wet down the altar, wet it down. They soaked 12 barrels, barrels of water on the altar. And the man of God started praying and prayed, 63 words, probably about a minute's worth of prayer. And before he could say amen, shabam, shazam, kaboom. The Lord came down with fire and consumed the sacrifice and the altar and the water and the dust of the ground. And all the people fell on their face and said, the Lord God, he is the God. Can I get a witness? The Lord God, he is the God. God. Amen. And we come to 1 Kings 19 and the Bible says that there's a woman by the name of Jezebel and she sends a threatening letter to the man of God. He's gone from the mountaintop of victory down to the valley of defeat and it's a quick trip. May I say to you today that it doesn't take you long sometimes to go from the top To the bottom. It seems like there's a short distance sometime in our life between victory and defeat. And Elijah got down underneath a juniper tree. He sat down and he said, Lord, it is enough. I am not better than my fathers. Take away my life. And he laid down and he went to sleep. God sent an angel down there to him and said, arise and eat. Brought him, I believe, angel food cake. Amen. And said, arise and eat. Because the journey, there's that word, the journey is too great for thee. He's on his way somewhere. He's not wandering around. Remember what he said. He said, I am not better than my fathers. In the Jewish vernacular, Moses would have considered to be a father figure to the man of God Elijah and Elijah in his mindset he's headed up to the mountain to where he could meet with God about what's going on. I'm talking to somebody, you need to meet with God about what's going on in your life but Elijah had not even gotten there yet and he's already ready to give up. Boy let me just say this to you today, amen the Lord knows exactly where Elijah's at and in verse 9 says, what doest thou here, Elijah? Isn't it just like God uh, when you're looking for him and you can't get to him, amen? He will come to where you are. <laughs> he found him, amen, there in that cave. and said, what doest thou here? In other words, the Lord is already there awaiting on him when he got there. How many of y'all know today that when you come in this morning, the Lord was already here awaiting on you to get in here this morning. Amen. Well, hallelujah. I begin to look down here in verse number, uh, verse number 11. Uh, he said, Go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Whew, that voice is a speaking in here today, amen. That voice is a speaking right in here today, amen. Verse number 13, here we go. And it was so when Elijah heard it, we can't already see, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? It's the second time he said it. Elijah, tell me why you're here. Go ahead, unload on me. Tell, tell me, would, would you vent to me a little bit, Elijah? Verse 14. And he said, I've been je- very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord God said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Amaloah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. I think from this text God would want us to preach this thought. He's better than I thought. Father, would you help me today? God, to deliver your message to your people. Speak to our hearts, Lord, and help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Number one, I want to say that God's work is more personal than we think. God's work is more personal than we think. Here's Elijah, verse 14. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. He says at the end of the verse, I, even I, only am left, and they seek to take my life away. Here's what I'm thinking when Elijah says this. He's saying, God, all you have on earth is me. Lord, I'm all you got. And Lord, if I don't get it done, it's not gonna get done. That's what he's saying. And Sometimes you read that and you consider and you think, What on earth is God going to do? All he's got is Elijah, it looks like. And Elijah is going to be taken away. Here's what's happening. Elijah has made himself big. And when you make yourself big, you'll make God small. And he starts making God small. Elijah's saying, this is all dependent on me. If I don't get it done... It's hopeless that it'll ever get done. Let me say this to you today. The work of God does not depend on you and it does not depend on me. The work depends on the Lord. If it's going to get done, Bethel, it's going to be the Lord that does the work. If there's going to be a soul saved, it's going to be the Lord. If there's going to be a miracle done, it's going to be the Lord. If there's going to be a prayer that gets answered, it's going to be the Lord. Amen. So may I just say this morning, this work is the Lord's work. In verse 18, God says, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal. He says, Elijah, You need to stop thinking about what you have and what you have done and you need to start thinking about what I have. Can I say that again? Bethel, you need to stop thinking about what you have or what you don't have and you need to start thinking about what he has. He's better than you think, amen, amen. (laughs) In fact, he said, Elijah, I want you to know it's not about what you've done, but it's not about what I can do and what I can do through you. And Elijah, I want you to know you're not alone. I have 7,000 that's not bowed their knee to Baal. Their mouth has not kissed his statute or his image. He said, Elijah, I want you to know I appreciate you, but I am at least seven times thousand, seven thousand times better than you think I am. Woo wee. Some of you, you think the best thought you can think about God, and he's better than that. You think God to be as big as you can, and he's bigger than that. You think about God being as wise as wise can be and he's wiser still. You think about God being strong and being able and honey, he's stronger still. You think about God being gracious and he's more gracious than that. You think about God being merciful (laughs) and he's more merciful than that, amen. In fact, he's 7,000 times at least better than Bigger, stronger than you and I will ever think about him being, amen. And Elijah thinks that now that God is down to Elijah, that Elijah is all that God has. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like I'm the only one God's got left? I'm the only one in this family that cares. I'm the only one still attending Sunday school. I'm the only one still wanting to sing. I'm the only one wanting to pray. I'm the only one wanting to serve. Honey, let me tell you something. When you get yourself concerned about you, you're making yourself big and you're making your your God small. In fact, that it's read in your hearing that God begins to mention people by name to Elijah. Telling the telling Elijah that I'm working in other people's lives just like I'm working in your life. He mentions in verse 15, Hazael. He ver- mentions in verse 16, Jehu. He mentions in verse 16 again, Elisha. And he mentions in verse number 18, there's seven thousand more that's not bowed their knee to Baal. How does God know? Because God is watching. Your knees. He knows who you're bowing to. God's watching your mouth to see who it is you're a kissing on and to see who you're a confessing and to see who you're witnessing for and testifying about. It just, listen, Elijah seemed to think that God was only interested in Elijah, but it turns out God is interested not only in Elijah. But in everybody else as well, amen. So you just hang in there. God has a work he wants to do. He wants to work. will you hear me personally in your life today? He knows the need of your heart. He knows the need of your life and he knows what it is to, this morning that you desire. And glory to God, I want to say his work is more personal than you think. Haziel, he was a shrewd man when I study him. He's a man looking for an opportunity, and when he gets an opportunity, he's going to take it. Jehu, he is a sudden man. He's a man that leaps before he looks. He's a man that speaks before he even thinks. Amen. Elisha is a simple man. He's a man that's just a farmer, and God chose him to be a prophet. His young man's out in the field just plowing. But God's going to use all three of these men, the shrewd and the simple and the sudden, and He's going to use them. They're different in their personality, their traits, their talents, their abilities, but God's going to use them all for his glory. May I just say this morning that God wants to use you where you are? You may sit here today and look around and say, I just don't know if I really am going to be given many opportunities. I I don't know. Let me tell you something, honey. I believe that God can use you right where you are today for His glory. And let me tell you something. You may say, Well, this is it for me. This is as far as I can go. I've advanced. I've got as close. I've advanced as much as I can. I've achieved as much as I can. Honey, I'm telling you, God's work is more personal than you think it is. Second of all, God's work is more profitable than you think it is. Preacher, I'm not following you. Verse 14. And he said, I, even I only, the end of the verse, am left. He said, There's nobody else. He's feeling like he's alone. He feels some of you wives. Mothers, daddies, husbands, you, 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 servants of God, preachers, deacons, Sunday school teachers. Hear me for a minute. You're going to think I've told, I've witnessed, I've suffered, I've preached, I've taught, I've studied, I've prayed. And it's all been in vain all my faith, all my efforts. That's what Elijah's saying here. I'm the only one left and they seek to take away my life. It's all being in vain. Lord, everybody wants to tear down your altar. Nobody wants to go to the altar anymore, God. Nobody loves you in our land anymore, God. Nobody wants to serve you in our land anymore, God. Nobody loves you. You know what the devil will tell you? Stuff just like that. In fact, the devil will tell you, you've not done anything for the Lord. The devil will tell you, you've not accomplished anything in the Lord's work. Years ago, I was asked to go preach the a revival meeting, had a different preacher every night. I think I was preaching on Tuesday. So I went Monday, Sunday night, it started, I had church here. Monday night, I went and preached. I went to listen to the preacher preach. And that young man, I'll tell you something, he preached. He started quoting, he quoted a Bible verse Forever Bible verse he quoted. I'm telling you, he was on his knees all 35 to 45 minutes he preached from his knees and he didn't do anything other than quote the Bible. And I thought, dear Lord, I don't know nothing. I can't quote half the Bible like he just did. The guy stood up later on that night talking about giving and how that give and give and give to missions work and I thought, Lord, I must be stingy. I can't quote the Bible. I can't give like that. Another guy got up and said, now listen, we're in a revival meeting. Another guy got up and said, we just had 150 people saved at our church. And I went, oh Lord, we had 150 people saved. I'm stingy and the next thing I knew the devil before I could even get up to preach Tuesday night when I went to church on a Monday night had already slapped me through the face and said you ain't accomplished nothing you're a low down no good nobody nobody wants to hear you you're not doing anything else but let me tell you something honey it's not about these things that God's working in other people's lives. Get your eyes of what God is doing in other people's lives and get your eyes on him today and watch what he's going to do for you and watch what he's going to do through you, amen. You see, I cannot measure what God has done in my life by what he's done for somebody else. Amen. May I say this? You're, standing here, you're sitting here today, you're saying, preacher, I don't know if I've really accomplished anything. Okay, well, let me ask you a question. Are you doing the will of God? And are you faithful at doing it? I had, uh, everybody know Brother Chris is my friend, funeral home and, and uh, he had asked me some years ago, uh, we had to go somewhere and he said, listen, I need to stop by on our trip. I need to stop by a certain county to the, get, pick up a death certificate for somebody and And I said, well, I know where that's at. I'll take you. He said, well, I've never been there. So we was riding, going on our business, pulled off from the side of the road to go down to pick up the death certificate for somebody. And so uh, he said, well, won't you come on in with me? And I went in with him, and this lady come out. And she said, Preacher Darren. I didn't know her. She said, you don't remember me? I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, I don't remember you. She said, you were preaching when my boy got saved. And then the next night, my girl got saved. Preacher, I'm telling you, my whole family has gotten right with God. We're serving the Lord, and I just want to thank you for preaching. I didn't even realize. I didn't even know who she was. But somehow, that, I mean, there had been so many people, and God had done so many things, and I knew this. It wasn't me that had done anything. It was all God that had done a in ahead. And sometimes the devil will tell you, Bethel, you're not accomplishing a cotton-picking thing. You waste your time singing. You waste your time preaching. Well, there was a man wrote an editorial one time and he said, listen, I don't know why the preacher has to preach three times a week. He's done it for 20 years. Why does he do it? And the editor for the paper wrote back and said, well, sir, I'm sure that your wife has cooked for you two or three times a day and you've been married for 20 plus years. I'm pretty sure you might not remember the menu of every one of those uh, 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 meals that she served you. But I can be certain that if you hadn't had them, you wouldn't be here today. Amen. Amen? (laughs) Let me tell you something. God's work is more profitable than we think it is. Hey, Elijah, he says, you may feel like you're the only one, but I've got 7,000 that's not bowed the knee just yet. And let me think for a second. There was a man by the name of Jonah who when he was disobedient to God's voice, God, he he was thrown off of a ship and the whale swallowed him up and uh, finally after he said salvation's of the Lord, three days and three nights in the whale's belly, the the, the whale said, that's too much salvation for me and he vomited him up. Jonah came out of that fish smelling like whale puke. Walked a day's journey in the middle of the city and said in 40 days God's going to overthrow this city without any love in his heart preaching God's message to the people the Ninevites are sinful people and the people started hearing what he said they took the message all the way up to the king he sat down in sackcloth and ashes and said everybody's to go into a time of repentance the entire city of Nineveh got right with God, and they were all spared. Hey, Jonah, I bet the message went further than you thought it would go. I bet God did better than you thought God would do. Hey, Elijah, come here let me ask you something. How did them 7,000 people hear about God? Why are them 7,000 people serving God? Who told them? Evidently, if Elijah's the only one preaching, He's had 7,000 converts. That's pretty good, amen. Uh, God is doing more than we think he's a doing, amen. Uh, just this week, amen, we had, what, six saved last Sunday. This is where God smoked me with this. Had six saved last Sunday morning. Hallelujah. I thought I was praying, Lord, save 10 or 20, amen. And God saved six, and I was, I was tickled to death with it. But later on in the week, one of our young ladies here, text me and said, Preacher Dennis, I want to tell you, I, I can't get away from it. I'm under conviction about it still. I, Sunday morning, I prayed that prayer with you. Sunday morning, back on my pew, I didn't make my way down the altar, but I called on Jesus, and I'm telling you, Pastor, I got saved. The Lord saved my soul and I'm number seven. I'm just going to tell y'all something, amen. Help me preach. I thought God had saved six people and I thought it was over. But he did more than I thought he did. It's more profitable to serve him than I thought. He's still saving souls. Glory, hallelujah, amen. It pays to serve God. He's doing more than we think he's doing, amen. Number three, Now I'll be done. Write this down. His work is more powerful than we think. Now, God uses a number here in verse 18. It's the number seven. Do you see it? No, preacher, it's 7,000. Just let me preach. Seven is God's number of completion, seven is God's number of perfection. Has a significant meaning, and I could preach a whole 30 minutes on that. Just so leave it alone. There's another part of that number thousand. Verses started coming to my mind when I read thousand. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.8 Be not ignorant of this one thing. A day is as a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years as a day. Preacher, what does that tell you? It tells me God's better than I think He is because He's so powerful in His work He's not phased by the expanse of time. Time does not bother God. Some of us, you're worried about now. Preacher, I need something right now. I remember the preacher one time. Man, he, he was in his office. He was just, oh, man, he was a mumbling. He was a pacing back and forth just like this. Oh, his deacon says, what in the world, preacher? What? He said, man, I'm in such a hurry. I need to answer prayer so bad. He said, "A preacher, what in the world? He said, here's my concern I'm in a hurry and God's not. You and I deal with our little timetables. But time does not bother God. Lazarus laid in the grave for one, two, three days. And the Lord showed up on the fourth day. And they said, Lord, you are here way too late. He's done been dead four days, but we found out then when he's four days late, he's still on time. Lazarus, I go to God, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound head and foot. And he said, Loose him and let him go. Time does not phase our Lord. You and I need to learn to trust him. We need to learn to wait on him. Honey, time will not affect him. Some of you right now, if you don't get your answer right now, the flesh and the devil will say, God's not listening. But God is not bound by time. When it's time for Him to do right, you can be sure He's going to do it when it's appropriate to God. He'll do the best for His glory and the best for you and the best for me. He works in His own time schedule. He works in His own pace. He's not phased by time. Amen. Then that word thousand. There's another verse I looked up. Listen to this one. Joshua 23.10 One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you that hath promised you. Here's what I found out. That the extent of the enemy, their number, their size, their power, the extent of the enemy does not bother God. It doesn't bother God how many is against him. It doesn't bother God how many is even against us. It doesn't matter how many people have lined up fighting. There was one time the city of Jerusalem was surrounded by an enemy of 185,000 and the, the, the king got to praying and laid a letter out before God and the next morning when the sentries got up and looked and beheld the fields out beyond the walls, the watchman said, they're all dead corpses. God had killed every single one of them. One time the man of God, he, his servant had got up and he looked and the enemy had surrounded him. And his servant said, oh master, what shall we do? The enemy has us surrounded. The enemy has us defeated. And the man of God said, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. What do you mean I ain't seeing? I can see when we're surrounded. I can see when we need to run up the white flag of surrender and say we've lost. God did the supernatural open his eyes. And beyond those that surrounded him was chariots of fire and holy flaming angels that were all the way around. In fact, the enemy didn't know they were the ones (laughs) surrounding. Amen. I'm just telling you, God is better than you think he is, amen. And God is more powerful than you think he is. It may look like the other side is winning right now, but just hang on, amen. Our God is not worried about how many or how powerful or who they are even of our enemy. Oh, my. Oh, here's another one. I want you to see it. Will you turn in Deuteronomy chapter one? Will you turn with me? Deuteronomy chapter one. I'm almost done. Deuteronomy chapter one. This will be a good one to underline in your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter number one. Oh, Moses now. Moses is talking here. Going to be praying. We're gonna look in verse number 10. Watch this. Deuteronomy 1.10. I hope they can put it up on the screens. You gotta see it. Hope you'll underline it in your Bible. The Lord your God hath multiplied you and behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. You remember, God had showed Abraham that's what was going to happen, amen. And now Moses says, yep, just like God said, he's multiplied you. Look with me at verse 11. It's in parentheses, so we have a parenthetical statement. It's the inside information. Here's what he's going to pray. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more as you are and bless you as he hath promised you. Moses said, I'm going to pray that God would not only bless you as he has, I'm going to pray God would bless you a thousand times more. How many of y'all could use a thousand times more of the goodness and the blessing of God? One, two, five people. six, seven, eight, eight eight. Eight people. We got hundreds here today, amen? Boy, the altar's going to be full this morning. I mean full. Y'all better look out there, you're going to get squished, amen? May I just say this morning, you have, talk to somebody here, you have a big request. Preacher, this is a big request. I am need. I'm needing a miracle. Can I tell you this morning about a God who is 7,000 times at least bigger than you think he is? You, you think what you need is a big miracle? Let me introduce you to a bigger God than your miracle and your need. He is unfazed by the enormity of your request. That does not bother him. Preacher Darren, I got a big problem. One of our brothers back here testified about how he was working in the wood and a log, 600 pounds, rolled on top of him and trapped him and he was powerless to get out of it. He was screaming and hollering for help Finally, somebody helped him, and they were able to get people to come in and get him released from that burden. I'm talking when he said it. God spoke to me and says, "You got somebody going to be here today, and you feel like you got a 600-pound weight has pinned you down, and you are powerless to move it and powerless to get up from it. You've been steamrolled. You've been flattened. You've been crushed." let me tell you about a God that's bigger. who's able to roll the logs off of you, amen, that have run across you and breathe into your nostrils and caress you and lift you back and put you back on your feet again and get you in the house of God where you can say, honey, let me tell you what God did for me this week. I had a burden of a 600-pound log and here I am, amen, foot loose and fancy free. God was bigger than I thought he was. I just want to say this morning to somebody and I'm done right here. I want you to know this. You come in here and you say, Preacher Darren, somebody, I'm begging God to save them. And the devil's told me that it just ain't never gonna happen. Honey, God is bigger than the needs you have. And God is better than you think he is. Somebody here, you're so weary, you're so tired, you're so feeble, you just can't keep going. But God has more power than you think he has, amen. You've come in here today, and man, you've messed up again. You you said you'd quit, you said you'd stopped, and then you went and did it again. I want to introduce you to a God that has more patience than you think he has. You need a dose of mercy today? He has more mercy than you think he has. You need a shot of grace today? (laughs) Honey, he has more grace than you think he has, amen. There may be somebody here, you're discouraged, you're depressed, but I'm telling you this morning, I want to introduce you to a big God that's already waiting on you to come to Him today. There was a preacher. His name was Francis Dixon. He's preaching in the Bible conference. And he asked the moderator of the conference about how'd you get saved? And he said, Well, I was visiting down in Sydney, Australia. And there's this little white haired man walking up and down George Street. And he handed me a track and said, Sir, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And he just kept on walking. I took the track and pondered his words and read it and about on my knees and I got saved. He said, man, I praise God, what a testimony. Then Francis Dixon was in Atlanta. He was preaching at a convention of 1,000, there's our number, 1,000 Navy chaplains. And he asked the chaplain in charge of the whole naval group, he said, are you saved, would you tell me about your salvation experience? He says, well, I was a lost sailor and we harbored in Sydney, Australia. I was walking down George Street and a little white-haired man come, walked up to me and said, here's a track. If you died today, would you go to heaven? And he's walked off. I thought, man, that was the craziest thing. I got to reading that track, pondering his words, and I got saved. And that same preacher, Francis Dixon, was preaching at a missions conference. There was 5,000 people in attendance. Uh, there was a missionary there from India and when it was over, he said, he said, tell me, sir, how did you get saved as a Hindu? How did you come to Christ? He said, well, I was a lost Hindu sinner in Sydney, Australia. I was walking up and down George Street and a little old white-haired man met me and handed me a track and said, hey, if you were to die today, will you go to heaven? And I couldn't believe he asked me that question. I pondered his words, I read the track, and I got saved. The pastor, Francis Nixon, flew to London. He was speaking in a minister's conference and he got up in Keswick and he told about the man. He said, here's three times, three different leaders, this man in Sydney, Australia, and shared what had happened when it was over four elderly pastors walked up to the preacher and said, I got saved when I was 25, I got saved when I was 28, I got saved when I was 30, I got saved when I was 32 in Sydney, Australia. That same little white haired man handed me a track and asked me if I was to die today, would I go to heaven? Eight months later, Francis Dixon is down in Grashmere, which is a suburb of Sydney, Australia. He asked the pastor, he said, listen, while I'm here close, do you know a little white haired man down there on George Street? Hands out tracks all the time. Ask people, if you die today, would you go to heaven? He said, yeah. Everybody knows him. That's Frank Jenner. Man, is he still alive? Yeah. He's not doing that anymore. He's got too old. He's got too frail. He can hardly go. But we know where he lives, and we'll take you there. Two nights later, they knocked on that little apartment where Frank Jenner lived. He invited those men in. And Francis Dixon said, that man was so frail, and he's so polite, he said, would you like some tea? And he was trembling, his hands shaking. And he said, I, I, I would. So he got some tea to the other men. And he sat down and said, sir. He said, I want to tell you what's been happening. Everywhere I go all across the world, people are telling me about a little white-haired man down there on George Street, handing out tracks. People saved all across the world. And the little man started to cry. He said, you know, he said, my story goes like this. I was on a warship. Whew. I was under such a burden. I was completely paralyzed by sin. I was on my way to hell. There was a Christian man I treated so wrongly, but I had such a burden, I didn't know what to do. And I went to that man, and he led me to Christ. And I promised the Lord from that day forward, 10 times a day, if I was able, I would hand out tracts and ask people about their salvation. And he said, listen, I'm not doing it because I'm paranoid. I'm doing it to, to fulfill my promise to God. And for over 40 years, it's what I've done. And I've met hundreds of people, but he said, you know what? I never knew one that said they got saved. Francis Nixon said, I've just now told you about 40 or 50. He said, and the best I can figure, I've done the math, that of all the people you talk to and the percentages, maybe 146,000 people have gotten saved because you were willing to ask people, if you died today, would you go to heaven? Here's a tract that might help you. God, help us. You know, my God is watching our knees. My God is watching our mouths what we're doing. Have a personal friend of mine. Back years ago, the old J and S cafeteria. He came through. He got mashed taters. He got chopped steak with gravy on it. Green beans, corn, and a great old big biscuit and one of them good JS rolls got him a big jug of sweet tea. He rolled his little tray down there, pulled out his wallet and his paid. A little girl met him and picked up his tray and said, sir, where would you want to sit? He said, I want to sit right down there in that dark corner. She said, in the dark? He said, kind of over there by myself. I just want to be alone with my thoughts today and alone with my Jesus. She looked at him. She started carrying that tray for him. And she sent down this tray and she started setting the items off on his table. He reached his pocket and he Handed her a gospel tract and said, Honey, if you was to die, would you go to heaven? Can I tell you about my Jesus? She stopped what she was doing in the middle of the j cafeteria. She got down on her knees and she said, Sir, my little boy was killed in an accident this summer. And he had been to Bible school before and he came home and told me, Mama, Mama, I've been saved. Jesus has saved me. I'm going to heaven. And I didn't know before something was over, he'd there. And I'm never going to see him again. Mister, if you could tell me, nobody knows to tell me, if you could tell me about this Jesus that would let me go to heaven and see my little boy and live with him, I'll gladly accept him right now. And right there in the j cafeteria, That little mama got saved. May I just say to you, honey, God's better than we think He is. He's bigger than we think He is. He's more able to do than we think He is. Your mind limits God. I was limiting while the choir was singing. I'm just telling you, amen. Do not limit God. Us to go to heaven so bad he sent his son to bleed and die and suffer and be shamed in our places and he was buried in all of hell and the devil made sport of him but honey God's bigger than the devil thought he was amen and Jesus came out of that grave victorious and he's here this morning he wants to meet you he wants to save you he wants to answer your prayer request today Hell, I'm the only one here to say, you know what, preacher and I'm finding out God's bigger than I thought He was. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Seth, will you come play. Somebody stand to you. Everybody stand to your feet. Maybe there's somebody you'd make your way to the altar and say, "Oh God, you've showed yourself in my life so many times to be bigger than I thought. I'm so limited. I'm so finite. I'm so much of nothing." <laughs> But you're bigger than I thought you was, God. <laughs> and you saved me. And you've answered my needs and met my needs every day of my life. Folks are coming. I wonder if they some my day. Maybe you'll just slip up your hand and run this altar and say, Preacher, I want to be saved. I'm not saved. I'm going to ask you a question. If you died today, would you go to heaven? There's been some terrible accidents just this last week. Preacher, would you pray for me? I'll not embarrass you as anybody. Maybe you're already in the altar. Preacher, I need to be saved. Maybe you're still in the congregation. Preacher, I want to be saved. I'll not embarrass you. Just stick up your hand. Just admit it. Just admit it. Put it right back down. Preacher, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I want to ask him to save me today. Is anybody? Maybe you're watching online. You want to get saved. I've had people online contacting me. All you got to do is bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Forgive me. I believe you died on that cross. I believe you were buried. I believe you rose again. You're knocking on my heart's door. Jesus, will you come in? Will you save me? <laughs> will you let me go to heaven? In Jesus' blood, I'm asking. Maybe there's somebody here today. You're still here, still on the altar, still standing. But there's a need today that you have that maybe you want the preacher to help you pray and join with you. Listen, if any two of joined join together and we'll be in agreement, God will do it. Maybe there's somebody here today say, Preacher, I have such a burden. I have such a request. I want to raise my hand and say, God, preacher, will you pray for me? God sees a hand. 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 God sees that hand. God sees that hand. Maybe you're in the altar now, preacher. Will you pray? God sees that hand. God sees that hand. God sees that hand. God sees that hand. Hey, God sees that hand. God sees that hand. Yes, God sees that hand. Anybody else? Lord, your eyes are watching. Their knees that are bowed, their mouths that are praying, seeking your face. God, they're asking for a miracle. They're asking them, They're asking you in prayer. They're asking you by faith. God? would you work it out? Would you heal? <laughs> would you save? Would you spare? Would you answer in accordance to your will and your perfect timing? Lord, today we are finding out you're bigger than we think you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask it all. Amen and amen.